You're listening to Strong Runner Chick Radio, where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect distance runners that identify as female. You can listen to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or any other platform of your choosing. And we really hope that you enjoy the show and be sure to leave us a review if you found it helpful. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. All right. I'm giving a quick shout out to you today's podcast sponsor, Tonry Outdoors. As runners, we spend a ton of time outdoors in the sun and our skin needs to be protected from damage, especially through summer months. Tonry offers an all natural SPF 30 mineral sunscreen with a lip balm, a daily moisturizer, and even an after sun restorative moisturizer that is made specifically for runners by runners. They formulated this line of products to not only protect you, but also keep in mind the planet. And in addition, it's a great feeling sunscreen. I've used it. It's my go-to now. They are sweat resistant and water resistant for up to 80 minutes. I really encourage you to go check out Tonry Outdoors and use code SRC for a 10% discount. Thanks so much and go get out there, enjoy the sun, and also stay safe in the sun with Tonry. All right. I'm on here to introduce today's guest, Lindsay Cortez, who is a registered dietitian. And I'll just say, admittedly, I've not been great about introducing guests. So I want to make sure I do them justice. Um, I always think, you know, you can go and read their bio, you can read up on their website, but I know not everyone does that. So um, without further ado, she is a registered dietitian, has a master's degree, uh, CSSD, so a certified sports nutrition diet- dietitian. Um, she's an entrepreneur and a lifelong runner. She is also the owner of Rise Up Nutrition, LLC, helping female athletes overcome disordered eating and use food as fuel to perform at their highest level. Lindsay received her bachelor's degree in dietetics from UMass Amherst while competing as a D1 track and field athlete, and then received her MS in sports nutrition at Florida State. She's worked as a sports dietitian for collegiate athletes at schools, including University of Georgia, Florida State, and uh, University of Texas San Antonio, or UTSA. She also worked as the tactical dietitian for Air Force Spatial Special Operations for many years and continues to support the U.S. military through various contracts. Now, Lindsay focuses solely on her own business, providing one-on-one counseling and group nutrition programs. She's very active on social media at female.athlete.nutrition over on Instagram and is the host of the Female Athlete Nutrition Podcast, which educates and empowers other female athletes to understand food, have fun with food, and of course, fuel their athletic dreams. And I will say I was just on the podcast and I believe she's releasing it this week as well. So stay tuned. If you want to learn more about my own journey, I kind of share and open up um, probably in a way I haven't, I guess, um, just with being asked more about how I overcame uh, red S amenorrhea and just kind of sharing my own personal experience there. Um, as a female athlete in um, both collegiately and post-collegiately. So we chat about that um, and more in this episode as well with Lindsay and her own personal story and how she became an RD. So um, again, if you like these intros where I'm blabbling and sharing a little bit about our guest, please let me know. Um, I never want to take up too much of your time prior to the episode. So just understanding that and being aware. But um, without further ado, enjoy this episode with Lindsay. And I also hope you've been enjoying Tonry. They're amazing. So go check out their sunscreen. Um, they're a great company. And just a reminder to use code SRC if you want a little discount there for your sun protection protection this summer. So enjoy this episode and we'll talk soon. Um, hello, strong runner chicks. Welcome back to another episode of strong runner chick radio today. It's Megan on, and I have Lindsay Cortez from rise up nutrition joining me also known as female athlete nutrition. And she has a podcast, um, as well. So she's a registered dietitian and works with, um, I think primarily female athletes, but really excited to dive into her work and, um, you know, it's so important, especially these days. So we were connected through, through Balance Texas, I think it's called an eating disorder treatment center. And recently we're on a webinar with athletes and eating disorder recovery. So I know Lindsay has a wealth of knowledge to share and welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thanks for being on. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Megan. I was so excited when we got connected a few weeks ago because I've been following Strong Runner Chicks for a while now and I love what you do. So this is really awesome to, to be here with you. Well, thank you. Yeah, that means a lot. Um, I know we're small, but mighty, and I've been following along as well. I've had friends uh, that have worked with Lindsay personally and said just great things. So I um, was really happy to get to connect too. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to how you got started, I know you have your own personal background in sport. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I was just, you know, attracted to athletics from a young age. Um, my dad just thought it was important for us as girls to be involved in sports. I, he, I have two sisters, so he had three girls in a row. He didn't have his son. He eventually got one, but he found it was really important to just put us in sport, um, not really having any expectations out of us, but just, you know, good for life skills and social stuff and development um, but then I really excelled at it. And I think it was also something that me and my dad bonded over for many, many years until my brother did eventually come along. <laughs> but, but me and my dad still bond over it, you know, that we just, we have that passion for athletics. And so, you know, I did a little bit of everything just as a, a kid, which a lot of people do basketball, soccer, skiing, um, did a track club. I, yeah, I think I tried like everything. And then, Gymnastics was my main sport. I started gymnastics around age like seven, just about six and a half, seven. And that's where I spent most of my time, um, you know, just as a kid was at the gym. You spend hours a day at the gym and I really loved it, excelled at it. It was my second home um, in high school, joined the track team and um, did great at that, excelled at that and um, moved on to competing in college. So I did division one track and field at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Um, so, you know, just continued my athletic journey. And um, yeah, so it just, and then, you know, I think too, as you know, I always tell people like how I became a dietitian too. It was kind of like my interests at that time were just sport and, um, but I didn't necessarily want to be a coach or a physical therapist. And so I, I was interested in nutrition and how it helped me with my athletics. And so just kind of started studying that in college. And then it just continued, right? Post-college, signing up for 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, and, you know, just joining CrossFit or just doing a bunch of different things to, as an adult female athlete now, keep trying to be competitive in my own way. So it's just been something that's shaped me. I think being an athlete, even now, like I'm not, I'm not at the professional level of far, far, far from that, but, um, but I still identify as an athlete because it, it has shaped me in so many ways and I value sports and I value athletics. And so, you know, I have no goals of going to the Olympics or anything like that, but it's still, if I treat myself like an athlete as an adult that motivates me. It's fun for me. I like being competitive. And so it's just, you know, continued throughout all these years. Yeah. That's really special. What you said there, I think about identifying as an athlete and I take that same approach of like, anyone can be an athlete. You don't have to be a professional. You can be an adult athlete. You know, it's mm -hmm. more about, and I'd love to kind of know there, like, what is your definition of an athlete or how do you view that? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think you and me are on the same page of like, it doesn't matter what level. Right. So, um, I don't know that I have a strong definition for it because I also, even though I do identify as an athlete, I think it's very important to make sure that's not your only identity. Right. Because what happens to athletes, we get injured <laughs> and then we don't participate in sport for six months or something like that. And you have to know who you are and be grounded in that and find other things in life that make you happy. So, you know, as far as how do I really, um, uh, define, you know, what it means to be an athlete. I just think it means if you're going to, uh, if you're somebody who likes competition or training or pushing your body physically, and you'd like that adventure and that challenge, you know, if you're running your first couch to 5k, you can be an athlete or if you're running your 20th marathon, you're an athlete. So it's really, I think, I think it's more of a mindset of, are you tapping into, are you tapping into that mindset of being an athlete? Yeah, definitely more of a mindset. And I'm, I'm sure with nutrition, it kind of goes along there too, of like fueling your body well, um, or treating your body well and your mind as well. So 
so many components. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mostly work with female athletes, but I have, and of course, as my career as a dietitian, I haven't always worked with just athletes. So, you know, right now I mostly do, but I still have some clients that aren't, but it's almost like, yeah, but if you were an athlete, how would you, you know, how would you yeah. treat yourself? And, um, or like, why, why are you limiting yourself? Why are you thinking you're not deserving of, of having the best fueling, the best being the strongest you can be like, go for that, do it. Yeah. So if you can fuel and treat and train your body, you know, to, for the best possible result, but I think that's a mindset mm -hmm. that we can all tap into. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, well, first off, I know listeners are going to be like, what events did you do? And you and Amherst, uh, Kelsey actually from SRC also went there for a bit. So, um, very neat that you guys have yeah. that in common, but yeah. What events did you do in track? Okay. So I was a 400 meter hurdler and a pole vaulter, um, which really stemmed from my gymnastics background, mm -hmm. right? Like, so I was more of the sprint and power athlete and, um, I mean, pole vaulting was a little bit of a joke for me, but it was super fun because like when you're in high school, nobody teaches you how to pole vault unless some schools across the country do, but like mm -hmm. my, my high school, like you could high jump higher than we pole vaulted. Um, but it was pretty amazing <laughs> that my high school yeah. even had pole vault, like some high schools don't. So, um, and then when I went to college, I was recruited more for the running aspect, um, more 400 and 400 hurdles, um, just, you know, sprints. But I kind of said like, but I'd like to pole vault. And they were kind of like, okay, like you can try it. You know, you can like, you've done it, but like, you're not, you know, <laughs> I wasn't being recruited for that, but um, it's just my gymnastics background. I really wanted to keep doing it. And so throughout the years, you know, pole vault was what I had so much, I think just more fun doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that too, was its connection to gymnastics still like, mm -hmm. I don't know, the strength, the body awareness, being in the air, fly, you know, flying, like, I just like that. So I did get better throughout the years, but that certainly wasn't what I was recruited for, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah. I always remember I was a hurdler as well, but I had done gymnastics early on and just got out of touch with that whole pole vaulting scene. And like, just looking at the pole vaulters, I was amazed how they cleared that. <laughs> distance. So it, it looks tough if you haven't, you know, if you're not like super daring or comfortable with that. Yeah. It looks and I really miss it, you know, because I've since transitioned, mm -hmm. um, there certainly are track clubs that I could have joined and kept pole vaulting, but I, I didn't, I transitioned right away to just doing five K's and 10 K's and road mm -hmm. races. Um, and so now I definitely am more of a distance, not that I, I am, a distance runner, not more of, I am. So I do marathons and half marathons and trail races now. Um, but I miss it. I miss, yeah, I miss because you, I'm not, I'm never going to go back to that. You know, like if you right. put a pole in my hands right now, I'd be scared. I, I wouldn't know it's been 10 <laughs> like, years, you know? <laughs> well, I like how it's evolved over time. That's neat to hear about your journey. Um, so I want to dive in since fueling is really your, your go-to here with female athlete nutrition to the concept of fueling and where that came into play when you were growing up, like any messages you had around, and it could be maybe around your body and performance or, or feeling and performance, like where that sense developed or that, that interest of yours developed in studying nutrition. So my interest in nutrition was always related to sport. Um, so, and I'll, and I've always been, you know, honest about this and transparent. It maybe wasn't always the right or the healthiest thing, but, um, I was interested in how, how I could change or manipulate what I was eating to help me with my performance and help me with my sport. So, you know, when it came to gymnastics, we have four hour long practices. So like, you know, how can I stay energized and fueled throughout practice? Um, that was one thing. And very often, by the way, that meant the vending machine and Starburst. <laughs> so maybe I didn't do it perfectly, but also I've never, that kept me going and I looked forward to it all the time. Um, it also in gymnastics meant like on competition day, I was very, very regimented with what I would eat. And I ate the same thing, the same exact thing before every meet. Um, but that also like this, this being regimented and caring about at a young age did, um, to hurt me in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I have no clue, Megan, I don't know 
how, because this was before smartphones, but I figured out how to calorie count, you know, and I started doing that and I don't, nobody ever told me how many calories I should eat, but I came up with an, with a number and started tracking those things. So I was very regimented, but I had no awareness that it was maybe not a good thing. It was just something that I, I did and I controlled. Um, and the question of whether or not like that became hurtful to me, it, it took many years. I know uh, with the clients I work with now, sometimes it's like within months, they're in a terrible spot. And for me, it really wasn't until college um, when this started to catch up to me. So I went many, many years, you know, with being under the, you know, other people thinking I was being healthy and me thinking I was doing things, you know, good um, until it kind of caught up to me that being overly regimented, overly strict calorie counting, worrying about every bite might uh, actually wasn't serving me. But so it, it, you know, it started, my interest in nutrition did start because I was, you know, even, even to the point where I'll never forget this, but when it came to figuring out what to study in college, and I mentioned this before, like, I didn't really know. I thought like, all I really care about is sport. It was my mom who pointed out to me like, Oh, Lindsay, you're really good at your diet. (laughs) Maybe you could teach other people how to diet too. And, you know, she didn't know that I was like hurting myself with strict calorie counting, but you know, that was, what I was doing. It's what I was good at. And, it, and in her, um, what's the word I'm looking for in her defense, you know, my mom is, uh, definitely a role model of mine. Somebody I love very deeply, but somebody who was trapped in, in diet culture for so long. Um, so when I grew up and I was in high school, she was doing Weight Watchers in South beach and Jenny Craig. And, and she thought that that was the right thing for her. Right. And she's learned mm-hmm. so much over the years and she's in a great place now, but you know, I was influenced by that. So, you know, yeah, I was, you know, air quotes, I was good at my diet and that's how it started. Now, when I started studying nutrition and I was a division one student athlete, um, you know, light bulbs started to go off, red flags started to go off. And also the, the personal, where I said it caught up to me, um, injuries, fatigue, body hatred, feeling like, okay, I'm controlling my calories and yet I still can't stop my body from changing, you know, and it all, um, you know, caught up to me and, you know, came to, you know, eventually some sort of breaking point of, I, this is not the way to do nutrition. And I was learning it as I was going and learning, yeah, there's gotta be a better way, a different way. And nutrition isn't just about calories and diets and how I've been doing it. So that's when I, shifted and really focusing on, you know, fueling for performance in a different way, um, which is more, you know, I I could go all into it right now, but I think fueling for performance is keeping your performance in mind. It is being intuitive. It is, you know, allowing all foods to fit in some way, shape or form. It's allowing your body to make the changes that it needs to, in order to be your strongest, fastest, itself and not trying to manipulate and control that, which I'm, I'm sure we can keep talking about, but that's, you know, that's how I got into, you know, where I'm at and where I'm at with what it means to fuel for performance as a dietitian. I appreciate you sharing all that. And I relate to a lot of it, a lot of it. Like I went to school originally for nutrition and actually I think got out of it from seeing how toxic it could be just in some sense of you have to really be in the right program or have the right, you know, I mean, there's RDs out there that are still sort of in diet culture in a sense, Um, right? Like it's rampant still. And so, yeah, definitely relate to like getting into nutrition for that reason of how, how can this missing piece is what I saw it as of like, um, you know, what I'm eating affect my training. And yeah, like some of that is positive, like making sure you have the adequate energy to do your best and perform your best, but it also could be restrictive or just take up so much mental and brain space. I'm wondering if you were noticing a lot of that too, of like, gosh, what could I be spending my time and energy doing if it weren't for tracking calories on a piece of paper, which I definitely did too. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, gosh, it's so silly, right? <laughs> how, yeah. many, how many, how many trees did we kill writing our, <laughs> writing our calorie counts on our notebooks yeah. back then? Um, you know, I think I had, like you said, I think the programs in which you study nutrition 
uh, will greatly shape um, you know, the type of dietitian you could become. I had two, I think, like influential things that I can remember about college. Um, one of them was that we had a sports dietitian. She was at the time the dietitian for the Celtics, the Boston Celtics. And she came to talk to us. And so I love that. That was inspirational. And that was where, you know, it was such a different approach. And she did talk about like setting up the meals for the Celtics and like all the food that was available and the importance of carbohydrates. So I had that exposure as an undergrad, which was great and um, just motivating as far as what fueling for performance really means instead of just the clinical side of nutrition. Um, and then I would say one other experience that I think was really wonderful is one of my professors, who's one of my favorites, and she um, is was just a, a tall woman with broad shoulders and, you know, we can just say in, in a larger body. And she was a dietitian and she talked about that openly about I might not, you know, she said things like, I know I don't look like the stereotypical dietitian, but you know, I have this knowledge and I feel my body well. And so she kind of really preached, like, this is way before the time of like the body positivity and body acceptance movement or a health at every size movement. But she was preaching that in her own way without ever like labeling herself as that. And she was one of my favorite teachers. And she was somebody who would say things like some days I eat no cookie. Some days I eat four, some days I eat one cookie with broccoli, you know, like she was just so realistic with nutrition and body. And she shared her weight journey. She shared her own struggles of how, when she was in college, like she did the low calorie diets to try and change her weight and shape. And it, it didn't work because that's not her genetics. And I just like, I'll, I'll never forget her as a teacher, because I think that was really powerful to be exposed to that at a young age and to be inspired by a dietitian like that. Wow. Yeah, that is super powerful. And to hear it from someone you're learning from, looking up to, respecting. I remember reading Nancy Clark, who's like a veteran in the field, her sports guidebook and hearing her talk about how you know, where there's some people that are giraffes and some that are, you know, just we're all different species of animals or, you know, liken it to dog breeds. And I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. so true. Like we're not all giraffes or horses or whatever, golden retrievers. Like we are going to perform at different and different bodies and just to respect mm -hmm. those differences. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, my undergrad, you you don't get to specialize in sports mm -hmm. nutrition or intuitive eating in undergrad. Like you're learning clinical and medical nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I'll add to that a lot of diet culture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't there because it's it is influenced by, I don't know, government programs that are I've got air quotes again, but fighting the obesity epidemic. So that's what your undergrad is mm -hmm. um, going to be surrounded by a lot of the medical, the clinical, and maybe even a focus on obesity. Um, so for me to have those two experiences were really helpful to me along with being an athlete myself. Mm -hmm. And then I went on to get my master's in sports nutrition, um, which was a, you know, really a blend of nutrition, exercise, physiology, performance, and that's really took things to the next level where all my professors were, you know, um, really from that athletic background and um, doing research with high level athletes and triathletes. And, you know, so that took it, that took it really my master's degrees where I was really exposed to what performance really means and how nutrition can affect that with things like endocrinology and supplements. And so, um, so that, that's really where it, the, you know, not just personal experience, but from an educational standpoint, you know, I was able to separate and step into that performance world. Yeah. I can sense there's so much passion and it's nice that this was like a personal thing for you as well as the work that you do. Um, when it comes to performance nutrition and things that you were learning, what were maybe a few of the biggest insights or light bulb moments that you were having along your journey? Mm. Oh my goodness. There's been so many, um, like along my personal journey, some light bulbs. Is that what you're yeah, asking? You can start personal and then kind of maybe branch into broader, like athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, personally, I think like when I was in grad school, I did a lot of experimenting with myself. Again, I'm not going to say that this was a good thing. I just did it. Okay. Um, as I was learning about, um, how you could like, 
I don't know, grow muscle faster or something like that, you know, oh, whey protein, let me like try that or take certain, certain supplements. And so I did a lot of experimenting and that those were good light bulbs to, in one sense, see how the body can change Mm -hmm. and how your training can progress. And another light bulb though, Megan, is to see maybe how little of a difference it makes. For example, um, I probably tracked my body composition at which I like, don't do it all now. I don't even step on the scale, but um, I tracked my body composition for many, many, probably like two years in a row um, because I was like, well, I'm going to be on this muscle gain plan. I'm going to do this lifting program and I'm going to gain muscle. And like over two years, like I was able to gain two pounds of muscle you know? and, yeah. um, and I worked so darn hard. So it was like, okay, my body did change. It, it did do that, but like, it, it was so difficult. And then you're injured and oh, now I lost a pound of muscle. And it's oh. just so, so it's yeah. cool. It's cool to see the science of how the body changes, but it mm-hmm. also almost puts it in perspective of like, wait, why am I overstressing all these little details when it really doesn't matter that much? Right. So yeah. I think that's like, an, like, those are two separate light bulbs of like, wow, it's so cool how the body can adapt and change and how nutrition mm-hmm. matters. And then the other light bulb of wait, this doesn't matter that much. Yeah. <laughs> it's so conflicting, but I think both are important and mm-hmm. it really helps you when you're making nutrition changes or when I'm guiding my clients in what they should and should not do. It's like, it's this combination of like, well, what's, what's worth it? You know, is it, is it really worth it to stress over a soy protein powder or a pea protein powder? Or like, can we just like, are you good with like having a yogurt or like, you yeah. know, like we don't need like, yeah. yeah, like those little details when it comes to, you know, performance, nutrition, maybe don't matter as much as we really think, yeah. you know, I don't want to discredit how important nutrition is as humans and as athletes, mm-hmm. but I think we have a tendency yeah. to way overstress the little details. And so, and maybe yeah, the big, the big rocks, right. I remember obsessing over things that don't matter when it was like, I'm not getting enough carbohydrates to fuel myself. Right. Like at the end of totally. the day. Yeah. Or if your life is just in disarray and you're stressed all the time or you're overtrained. I mean, that's yeah. a, you're just, yeah, there's no point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So some other light bulbs or personal Mm -hmm. like, um, reflections is definitely the the whole calories thing, you know, Mm -hmm. of what is the right amount of calories or that mindset that less is better. Like, Oh, I got out of that by my early twenties because it's, you know, it's just not Mm -hmm. true. And it's, it's just a lie. Less is not always better. And there is no magic number. And I, today I do not track calories at all, but I have from time to time, um, done a little like quality check on myself. And I do this from time to time from the standpoint of I'm educating my clients or teaching them or, you know, writing meal plans. I'm always like, wait, how am I taking care of myself? And, you know, it's like, wow, like some days I eat a ton of food. Some days I eat a, you know, a little less. So, you know, and it's just so interesting how, when at one point in time, you used to track calories and try and be so specific or macros. And it's like, Mm -hmm when you can just learn to fuel more, um, intuitively, more naturally, you know, you're going to see a range and, and it's going to be normal and natural and it's going to be healthy for your body. And, you know, so yeah, that, that less is better mindset. Um, that's a lie. So another light bulb. (laughs) Um, yeah. And I felt like I had one more thing I wanted to share with you just in, in my personal journey. Um, well, it might be slipping my mind. (laughs) maybe I'll come back to it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one we're going back to like performance, um, not stressing too much. Less isn't always better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And when it comes to the big rocks, like, um, like we're thinking things that somebody should maybe be, I don't want to say concerned with in quotations, but like what we should really make sure we are getting enough of. I mean, do you maybe common athlete feeling mistakes where you're like, oh gosh, we need to make sure we get. Yeah. Sorry. You broke up a little bit there. Do you mind repeating yeah. that? The big rocks? Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to these big rocks or these basics that you want to make sure athletes are getting down first, what do you start with? Yeah. Okay. So one of the first things is like a fueling schedule. I mean, so many athletes are just having 
breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's like, you need to eat pre and post-workout. You need a couple snacks. Like you should be like, if a normal human should be eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, then an athlete should be eating more often than that and surrounding your workouts as well. So fueling schedule and then wait, let's face it. Actually, some people don't even eat breakfast or some people are skipping lunch. So yeah, you know, like we were talking about, why are we stressing about the little details when you're not even eating lunch, you know? So, so I think fueling schedule is one of the very first things I look at when I'm, um, trying to help somebody with their nutrition and their performance is just, are we eating throughout the day, eating frequently enough, avoiding huge time periods where we're going into an energy deficient state um, and respecting our workouts as well, eating before and after and replenishing our body and preparing our body. So that's a, that's a big boulder um, that I think is really important because lots of people skip meals and skip snacks. Um, The next thing is um, just a balance in um, I guess I'll say macronutrients and that by no means like just carbs, proteins, and fats. And, yeah. you know, are you getting carbs at every meal or are you, you know, thinking that this should be low carb or something like that? So not fearing carbohydrates, not fearing fats. I I'm going to say not fearing proteins, although I just feel like that's not like, that's so rare. Many people like it's our culture. So many people overemphasize the importance of protein. So it's pretty rare for people. I feel like some people though, I will say like, um, yeah, I've tracked just for awareness before and I'll notice like, Oh, that's why I was so ravenously hungry because I didn't get any protein until get enough protein whatever. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one that maybe we forget about or overlook, but yeah, yeah. And then I do, I actually, as I was talking, I did just remember one of my clients from about a year ago who she actually did fear protein because she thought it would make her too bulky. And it was like, no, (laughs) you know, so yeah, we just want to make sure that are we, are we getting carbs, proteins, and fats at every single meal? Because every single one of those is important and plays a different role in our health. And quite frankly, we need a lot of them. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, runners, obviously like carbs, we're always stressing the carbs because mm-hmm. we need a lot more than people realize. And the good news is that carbs are found in lots of different foods. We can get them from lots of things. Um, but, um, just making sure that we have that, you know, that we're not just, you know, it's not mm-hmm. wrong to eat a salad as a meal, but if you are training for a marathon, like we need to have some bread and some beans with that salad, or actually like we should probably having be having more meals with a pasta, a rice or a potato base, you know? Um, so really just looking at our, you know, fueling schedule for one. And then are we neglecting any one of those major food groups um, and making sure, I think as it matches up with what you're training for, are you getting the amount that you need? Cause it does vary, right? A, a runner is going to need different amounts of carbs than a power lifter might. And then when, when I say a runner, there's, are we running 5Ks or are we running ultras? There's a, a very different amount as well. So yeah. those are some of the boulders that I'm looking at. Those are the big things. It's like, yeah, I don't care about the little like grams or, you know, I mean, I care, but like not, not that much. The little things don't matter as much as those two big things. Those are huge. Yeah. Now I know calories can fluctuate, like as you said, or our energy levels based on where we are in our training cycle, our hunger, fullness cues, all of these factors, but how does someone know if they're veering energy deficiency or like that whole energy availability concept? Cause you've talked a little bit and I don't know if you want to share personally at all. Like I can say I've had red S or experienced that in the past. And it was a long time coming to figure out how do you get enough in while respecting hunger, fullness cues, et cetera. So like when you're working with an athlete, again, that's either struggling with red ass or just trying to navigate the whole energy availability, how do you know where to go there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I definitely experienced energy deficiency in red ass before I had a label for it. And before I was ready to admit that I was doing anything wrong either. Um, so this is, you know, something I'm super passionate about when I talk about fueling for performance, the reality is that anywhere between like 30 to 40% of female athletes are struggling with either energy deficiency, menstrual irregularities, female athlete triad, or an eating disorder, disordered eating. So 
those, those are the things that I focus on the most, like those big boulders, like we were talking about, I'm like, well, 40% of female athletes are struggling with that. That's, that's something that really needs to be addressed. And so, um, as far as, you know, I guess to answer your question about like calories specifically, or how do you know if you're eating enough? Um, it, it can be tricky for sure. And my philosophy is actually, um, I think this is, I think this is where having a dietitian can be helpful because it's something that maybe dietitian can look at what you're eating and say, like, it's good, it's enough, or it's not enough, or you need more of this or that without you necessarily needing to get attached to or married to certain numbers, because it, it will fluctuate. You know, Megan, if I gave you an amount of calories that you need today, that might not be what you need in six months or when your training progresses. Mm -hmm. And so I really proceed with caution when giving calorie amounts. I, I proceed with extreme caution. So when a client is coming to me, if we're, if we're in a state of energy deficiency, um, we're going to address the two things I already talked about, which is fueling schedule and, um, appropriate, like amounts and balance of those major food groups. And then once we fix those two things, you know, maybe the energy deficiency is solved on its own. Um, yeah. or we do have to take a deeper dive into, okay, this is how much you're expending in your training. And this is, you know, how much you need to really, um, bridge this gap or overcome this barrier that you have. And again, when, when I work with clients and most often, um, guiding them without them necessarily knowing the numbers, just because I think it's more helpful mm -hmm. to look at food as food and not as a number. Um, that's where they really benefit from having a coach. It's, it's kind of like your running coach, right? Like if, you know, yeah. it's more stressful when you're on a run and you're trying to set the pace for yourself and figure out like, you know, what's the speed I'm supposed to be going at versus if you have somebody else tell you the speed you're supposed to be going at, and then you have a friend who's running with you and setting that pace is so much easier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, it's not that the, I have this, um, saying with my clients, I say all data, no drama, which is that if we are looking at things like calories or numbers, like we need mm -hmm. to look at it from a very objective and data standpoint, but not, not bringing in all the emotion and the drama and the feelings and the, what if, or what does that mean? What if it's more than what other people eat? Like we have to look at it very objectively. And so I, when I'm working with a client, we don't talk calories until we both feel confident that they can look at it very objectively without the drama associated with it. Yeah. It's like, how do we separate those two? And yeah, I don't know what you said there too is so interesting. Cause I know I hear all the time, like, yeah, don't focus on numbers. Don't, but at one point in college, I needed to hear a minimum number that I needed to hit because mm -hmm. I was not, I was under fueling and I needed to know right. from a diet you were under fueling this, you need to hit at least this number to fuel your training. And that was like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, that is gold right there. I need to at least be above that. And I definitely, um, I think yeah. it was just a thing how far off I was and how that was contributing to the negative mm -hmm. consequences. Absolutely. I think when it comes to numbers, grams, calorie counts, even things like body weight and stuff, um, when you can it's not a bad thing to use numbers as, as what they're there for. They're there as numbers, they're there as data. If you can look at it very objectively, you know, from more of a scientific standpoint, it can help you. So having an awareness, like a calorie awareness is great, but a calorie obsession or yeah. a calorie mindset of less is better. That's where we really have mm. to proceed with caution. So I just had this conversation with one of my clients, um, about two weeks ago, I had been working with her for about eight weeks and we just kept focusing on the behavioral changes, the food changes, the food swaps, the meal timing, and she's been progressing, progressing, progressing. And then it came the point where it's like, I needed her to kind of push this barrier. And she also, because she was somebody who was struggling with red S and she's now at the point where she's like, well, can I get back running? Can I run more? Can I train with my team again? And I need her to push a little bit harder. And I felt like, you know what, we're at the point now where I need you to know, you know, where, where, where do you need to be? What does that look like? And so I had the conversation about calories and she was in such a different space at that time to talk about it. And over the last two weeks, it's really helped her. It's motivated her. It's okay. If I'm looking at a granola bar and I see that it's 
170 calories, I know that I need more than that now. Mm -hmm. And so that calorie awareness can help me. We just have to be in the right mindset for it. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I started working with her eight weeks ago to her, calories were just scary. So it didn't matter how much it was, you know, it was all bad. So we weren't ready to have that conversation yet. Yeah. I like that you're in this gray space. Cause I know like I'm all for anti-diet culture, but I feel like just never focusing at all. Like we food labels exist inherently. And it's like, how do you navigate sort of having some awareness that there are numbers out there, but also like being in a safe and healthy space mm-hmm. where you don't need to like be too aware of them or too mm-hmm. obsessive. So yeah. that's such a tricky spot. Yeah. Food labels exist. Um, scales exist. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I started with a new client today that, um, we are putting the scales and the measuring utensils away because we need to remove those negative triggers. But I told her, I said, we'll get back to it, you know, Mm -hmm. when it's the right time, the right place. And when you can use it to help you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe never a food. I don't see why we need food scales, but like <laughs> certain <laughs> things, but like, um, okay. Even, yeah. that, even that I can say, well, if you have no clue or concept of what 20 grams of protein looks like, you know, if you weigh chicken once to get a good visual, that can be a learning process. It can mm-hmm. be a tool for you yeah. to learn. Right. So it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you, Megan, of, I, I am, I really am anti-diet and anti all these numbers and all that. But when we're in the right headspace and we can use it to help us, is we're t- it's a totally different story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to making some of those those shifts, like you're talking about these mindset shifts or moving in moving in that direction of like going from obsessive to I don't know how I phrase this. Um, just like how you're, how you're normal, navigating. happy, healthy. <laughs> What's that? Is a normal, happy, healthy from obsessive to, to <laughs> yeah. Not, right. Uh, you know, what are some of those questions that you're asking clients? Like what, or what should we as listeners of this podcast be thinking about when it comes to where we are, like how to assess where we are along that spectrum, right. Of like, awareness, but not obsession. Hmm. This is a great question. And it's funny. Somebody asked me the other day too, like, how how do you help people? How do you change their mindset? And I was like, like, there's a process, there's a way, but it's so hard to explain because I think that's the, you know, beauty of what you do Mm -hmm. as a coach. I, you know, I, I can consider myself a coach and nutrition coach, not just a dietitian, but that's the beauty of what you do when you're Mm -hmm. coaching and counseling someone. But I think if your listeners are trying to figure out like, okay, because we've, we've mentioned the word calories a lot, like, okay, so am I thinking about calories in a healthy way or a not healthy way? Um, there's a few ways to probably assess that. Um, the first I would say is just, is it causing you any harm? Harm, remember, can be physical. So is my body weight fluctuating, dropping, going up and down, you know, yo-yoing to, you know, is my, am I having lab values that the doctor has told me is, you know, a reflection of malnutrition. And again, this can be either, either way of my blood sugar is high, my blood sugar is low, I'm anemic. Um, so physical harm, are we having repeated injuries, you know, are we having stress fractures or just chronic unhealing injuries? Is our hair falling out? Like, are we causing physical harm to ourselves? But then also remember, is there mental harm? So, you know, I shared a little bit, Megan, of my story that mm-hmm. I probably was obsessing about calories in high school, but it wasn't causing me harm at that time. But mentally, it did by college, it was mentally causing me harm because it was taking, you know, that's what I was focusing on. And that's what I, it affected my mood if I went over my calories I was upset and mad and frustrated at myself. So that's not good mental health, right? If my whole day went perfect, right. that I ate 10 calories more than I was supposed to, like, come on. So yeah. reflecting on your mental health, are you causing harm to your mental health? Are you causing harm to your social and relationship health? Are you isolating yourself from friends? Are you having fights with family members? Are you so irritated and 
angry or upset and depressed or apathetic all the time because of what's going on with your relationship and food and body that it's affecting your social and relationship health. So I think that is one way to really challenge yourself on, you know, do I have a healthy relationship with food and body is first and foremost, is it causing me harm in any of those areas? Now, just because something's not causing harm doesn't mean you're using it to your advantage either, which actually a lot of clients come to me saying like, they'll come to me saying, well, I have this past of disordered eating. I have a past of red S and amenorrhea and like technically I'm good now, but I still don't actually feel like I'm bringing a positive attention to mm-hmm. food. So I get a lot of clients like that. I actually love working with those clients because I'm like, yeah, now now is the time to not just, you know, not be harming ourselves, but actually be helping ourselves. So I think that's a really cool thing. I love when clients come to me with that. Um, And then another thing, Megan, I wanted to share to your listeners is um, I guess kind of this concept of always versus sometimes. So do you always count calories or sometimes count calories? Do you always um, get afraid of your weight changing or sometimes get afraid of your weight changing? Do you always find yourself preoccupied with a thought of food or sometimes find yourself preoccupied with food? Do you always think about burning calories when you exercise or do you sometimes think about burning calories when you exercise? Um, Because I'll say if it's an always those are some red flags and the sometimes might still be a problem for you. You know, I'm not saying the sometimes is good, but it's, it's a lot more of like, well, if you sometimes think about burning calories in your exercise, maybe sometimes you're thinking about it in a good way of like, Oh, I burned a lot of calories. I need to go eat, (laughs) you know? Right. Um, and so I think the sometimes there's a lot more of what's the intention behind it Mm -hmm. versus the always is very indicative of, yeah. In obsession. Mm-hmm. Or like, it's like you said, sometimes worried about getting your weight checked at the doctor or whatever it is. Like, yeah, that's normal. Like we all have, I think we all have bad body image days or mm-hmm. days where we're struggling sometimes, mm-hmm. but yeah, like the always thing that's, mm-hmm. I like, that. yeah. Thinking about it that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I yeah. think, I think ask yourself, is this an always thing or a sometimes thing? And then if it's a sometimes thing, ask yourself, is this causing me any harm physically, mentally, mm-hmm. socially? Um, if it's not causing you harm, well, is it, then it's the question of, is it something that I think I could improve and would make me happier? Mm-hmm. You know, if I did things differently. Yeah. And those are all reasons to consider like addressing this, I guess we'll just call it relationship with food and body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, I've had such a good time chatting with you. I, I know we have a few more questions left and I'm like, I would love to ask you questions about your business. Cause I was kind of creeping and noticed like you have other RDs right at rise up. It's not just I you it's, and you weren't always an entrepreneur. So it sounds like this is a, a few years in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this business is just a little over two years old mm-hmm. and, um, I love it. I get, I'm so happy about it. Um, I think I always had the entrepreneur bug in me um, and all my friends and classmates would probably tell you that <laughs> they're like, yeah, we probably could have seen this, but, um, but I was always happily like employed and had jobs. I worked at collegiate universities with their sports departments and things like that. And um, so it was a life change um, with my husband moving and then needing to leave my job and then like, okay, what do I do? And I was just at that point where I was like, I'm, I'm ready to do my own thing. And, um, you know, it took some soul searching, but it's just been so amazing and it's been growing. So, you know, I have other RDs on my team now, but I, uh, the whole first year it was just me. And then about a year into business, I hired an assistant. And then like three months after that, I hired another assistant and then six months after that, I hired um, just full, full-time RDs, you know? So, um, and it comes down to, I, I think we're just going to keep growing because um, Megan, I'm on a mission. You know, once you help 
one girl and one female athlete and change their life. You're like, wait, one isn't enough, right? Like yeah. I remember getting this feeling about a year into business where I would get like a, you know, a few clients every month. And then I was like, but wait, there's like hundreds of thousands of girls that struggle with this. Like I need to give this to them. Like I, I, yeah, I just felt this, um, I don't know. I don't think I've ever said this out loud, loud before, but like responsibility, you know, of like, why am I only helping three clients a month when I could be helping six? And, and, you know, quite frankly, I'm like, why am I only helping six when I can help 12 a month? Like I need to keep helping more. It just, because people need this help and there's other RDs that can do it, but I'm just, I've got, we've got a really great thing going. We've got um, just so much success out of this program. So many lives changed. Um, and it's, it like brings me to tears sometimes. I like, I've just glanced over there because I have cards from my clients and it gets me like, it's just, I'm, I'm totally bragging right now. I'm so sorry, but it's just something no, that like, right. you know, a few years ago, I would have never imagined this and I've never, mm -hmm. um, so it's, I want to keep growing and that's why I've hired help because I only have so many hours in a week. And so if I do want to help more people, then mm -hmm. I need more amazing dietitians on mm -hmm. my team. And so, um, I've got a couple right now and I'm going to, we're going to keep growing as best we can so that we can help all these girls and women and female athletes that need it. That's so amazing to hear about. And I'm just inspired by your work and your commitment. I think just knowing that like, no, this isn't enough. Like I need to help more people and being able to scale that to reach more people too, and to train others to help them, you know, is, is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't want like, yeah, there's only so many hours in a week. And so, but why should my schedule limit, you know, people's ability to get help? So I'll tell you when I did first hire, it was sad when I signed on a new client and I was like, but wait, I want to work with them. But like, I have to hand them over. And I actually, I do yeah. work with all my clients, all of them. Mm -hmm. I, I always have like, if they're working with another RD, they're, they're also working with me in some way, shape or form. So um, I want to make sure that, um, that they're, I don't know, just, I have some sort of role, even if like they're, uh, the weekly person that they're meeting with might be Jenna, as an example, if she's another one of our dietitians. So they'll, they'll start with me. I'll hand them off to Jenna. I'll check in on them in two or three weeks. They can reach out to me at any time, but Jenna's like their go-to dietitian. And yeah, when I first hired other dietitians, it was a little like, oh man, I really want to help this girl. But it was like, I am the best thing I can do to help her is to give her to our amazing Jenna, who, you know, is another just phenomenal dietitian. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be so tough to want to be a part of every, everyone's journey in some way. <laughs> like, yeah, you certainly are. So, um, well, I know you have a podcast in addition to that one-on-one, -on -one, um, work. Do you offer any kind of group coaching or here's your time to share any other projects? Okay. You have? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So as far as just free resources and stuff, mm -hmm. I do have the female athlete nutrition podcast. And I'm on Instagram at female athlete nutrition and also mm -hmm. have a Facebook group called female athlete nutrition. Yes. Um, and you, you guys are bumping. You got a ton of Facebook group members and your Instagram has great infographics. So go check it out. Thank you. Different thank you follow. so much. Yeah. And it's funny, the different like demographics though. So we definitely get a lot more adult and I, I think a lot more recreational, um, on, in the Facebook group versus I do get a lot more high school, college, age athletes and like professional, even on my Instagram page as followers. And so because of that, Megan, I do offer, um, two, I guess I'll say three different types of programs. Um, so the first one that I'm most proud of is the female athlete system of transformation, which is working one-on-one -on -one and it's specifically helping female athletes overcome disordered eating and use food as fuel to perform at their highest level. Um, but I did start a second program because our Facebook group was growing so much. And this is targeted more towards adult um, female athletes. So maybe, you know, I don't know what adult means. 30s, you could be 28, you could be 55. <laughs> I don't care. Like there's no age category, but it's if we're not in the depths of disordered eating, but we're maybe stuck in like diet culture mindset and just looking for that 
support accountability on what does fueling for performance look like? And I've got a half marathon coming up in two months and I want to do better than last one. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a group style program. Um, so, and that's why I'm more focused on adults that hands off and maybe not in, not in a super like disordered, um, standpoint where we need a lot of one-on-one -on -one support. So, um, so that, that's a great program that we just started, um, over the last like six months, um, which has been working, I think just really great. Okay. And then I'll say just as a third option is every mm -hmm. once in a while, I, I do get some um, very young clients, maybe like 12 years old that, you know, 13 and, you know, they want to start using nutrition to perform better, but I don't want them to go down the track that I did. So I do just kind of offer general education for our very youth um, youth athletes as well as how to build that foundation of a healthy relationship with food and fueling for performance at a really young age. So, um, yeah, so if you can kind of tell, it's almost like it's a little bit both of like demographics, psychographics, your need. Um, so we have the group, we have the one-on-ones, but we also, it's more of, I think, um, you know, adults and accountability versus high performance, overcoming disordered eating wow. and, you know, guiding you through that whole process. Yeah. Talk about meeting people where they're at. That's like the definition. I feel like you have so many different avenues and places to meet folks. So yeah, it's really great. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have two more questions. Um, okay. One is what advice looking back kind of on those earlier years personally, would you give to your younger self? So I'm going to give the advice that's really hard to accept <laughs> and that I'm probably telling all my, all my high school and college age clients currently, um, which is that your body is meant to change. It's supposed to change. It's going to continue to change for the rest of your life. Um, and it's the sooner that you accept that, that change is not a bad thing. Allowing the change to happen is exactly what you need to do mm -hmm. to step into the athlete and the fierce female that you know you are. I think so many girls, um, myself included at that age, was just didn't, I didn't want my body to change. You know, you want to stay where you're at. And, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, you can understand that of preserving your innocence or, you know, I don't want high school to end, whatever it might be, but it's like, um, but if you don't, if you're in high school right now and you, you're trying to prevent your body from changing, you know, then when you're in college, you're going to be held back by that. Mm -hmm. And then when you're in your twenties and trying to you know, crush a half marathon, you're going to be held back by that. So just allow your body to change and allow it to grow and change. It's exactly what needs to happen for you to step into a, what I call becoming a fierce fit and fueled female athlete. I love that fit fierce and fueled. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely such a great, I, I just think words of wisdom and something I've reminded myself is like, you're, you're not going to be in your high school body forever. Like, yeah. you know, you're in your mid twenties now, like your body is meant to change. So I think that's super, super good advice at any we stage. We have to life. keep, we have to keep reminding ourselves of that in our thirties and forties and fifties too. Like that wrinkles too. are okay. <laughs> wrinkles are <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> that is life. That's evolving. A lot of yeah. things change. Yeah. Um, so final question is what does being a strong runner chick mean to you? And maybe it's fit, fierce and fueled, like you said. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's my little slogan. I've come up with fierce in your mindset, fit in your body and fueled athletically. But I think, I think for, to answer this for you, being a strong runner chick, I I'm going to lean into that fierce mindset. This is, I don't know. This is a word that has resonated with me for years, Megan, you know, when I think about even things like body confidence and stuff, like I was never the girl that if somebody did call me pretty or beautiful, like it didn't, I didn't believe it. It didn't resonate with me. It didn't empower me. I couldn't say it to myself. If I wanted to boost my body confidence, look in the mirror and say, Lindsay, you're beautiful. Like it, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. Right. And for me, like my body confidence journey started when I 
challenge myself to like, well, what does resonate with me? Like, what does make me feel good about myself? And I don't know, the word fierce just like does it for me. <laughs> like I just, when I'm like, you're fierce, like you're strong-minded, you're competitive, you're tough. Like that gives me confidence in myself. And when I tap into my fierce mindset, then I have confidence in my body. I have confidence in my athletic abilities. I have confidence in my job. I have confidence in my social skills. Like, so to me, being a strong runner chick is like just being as fierce as I can be in every aspect of my life. Love it. Love it. Love it. I don't think we've had the word fierce come up. So these definitions are always fun. Thank you so, so much, Lindsay, for joining me for the show, for sharing your story openly and vulnerably and um, for all the great work that you're doing. It's so, so needed and important. And I'm glad that you exist and that your business continues to grow and help more and more people. And I just encourage anyone listening, if you have any nutrition challenges right now, or if you're thinking about working with an RD to reach out to Lindsay um, and her team and see what you guys can do to help. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Megan. This was awesome. Um, and again, I love what you're doing and what you stand for as a strong runner chick. And um, yeah, I just, I'm grateful for all your listeners and thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for recording. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yes, you are welcome. Let me hit. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks Radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.